You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So we're in Daniel chapter 9. And if you're new with us today, what we have been doing is studying through the book of Daniel, the 12 chapters, taking one each week. And this is roughly five to 600 years before Jesus walked on earth. So we're talking 2,500 years ago. And here's what's been happening. God's people have been living far from home for the past 70 years. They're getting ready to return home, to return back to the land of Israel, to reestablish worship of God in the temple that they're going to have to rebuild, all in preparation for the coming of Jesus, which is the whole point of all of human history. And what God is going to do, he's going to work not only addressing their outer life, but also their inner life. Because if you only change your exterior, you don't change the interior, nothing changes. This is why people who move think, well, if we move, we'll get a fresh, clean start. Not if you don't have a fresh, clean heart. That's how it works. And so what God is going to do here, he's wanting to deal not only with the external, which is important, but also the internal. And he's going to do this through his servant, Daniel, a very godly man, who at this point, 700 miles away from Israel, and he's been living there for 70 years. We pick up the story, Daniel chapter 9, in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, Now, remember, as we opened the book of Daniel, it was the Babylonian Empire that was coming in, conquering, taking them captive, making them march 700 miles away to Babylon. We've been seeing in Daniel prophecy of empires yet to come. The next one in line was the Medo-Persian, the Medes and Persians. They are going to conquer the Babylonians. Here is their king, Darius son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, so he's basically doing a Bible study. He understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So here's what he's doing. He's studying the book of Jeremiah, and he reads at this point, and I'll share with you in a moment, he he says, oh, wait a minute, it says here, after 70 years, we get to go home, and he's doing the math, and he's thinking, it's almost 70, we're about to go home. Remember, when he was taken captive, he was a teenager, now he's in his 80s. So for the better part of 70 years, he, in reading the scripture, is finding revelation in the word of God. And the moral of that story is if you want a word from God, you got to get into the word of God. That's how it works. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. And I believe he'd be in two places in that book of Jeremiah in particular. Let's share those. So in one place, Jeremiah writes in chapter 25, God speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. They're still in Israel at the time. Jeremiah is pre-Daniel. 
Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, we met him in chapter one, king of Babylon, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land of Israel and its inhabitants, you, my people. And against all the surrounding nations, I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. Israel is going to lay waste. God still says, I will banish from them, from those places, from those people's lives, the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bride, bridegroom, the sound of millstones, in other words, working and, and, and making grain and, and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land and the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. This is before it all happens. Because the God who knows the future, rules the future, reveals the future through Scripture, especially the prophets. The point is, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know the one who does. And I believe the other place where Daniel is in Jeremiah is this one verse from chapter 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, not 69, not 71. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Daniel is reading in his Bible study, and he does the math. He's like, okay, it's almost 70 years. We're, we're like this close. But the people aren't ready. They're not ready to return and reopen the temple. They're not ready to worship God. They're not ready to witness to others about God because they've been disobedient to the word of God so they're not ready for the future that God has planned for them. You know, the same is true for all of us in varying degrees, various times. So what Daniel's going to do is he's going to intercede on their behalf in prayer, and we'll see that in a moment. But let me just say this. Daniel is the godliest man alive on earth in his day. He is the wisest man alive on earth in his day. I mean, angels visit him during a Bible study. He actually writes a book of the Bible. If there's anyone who perhaps could say, you know, I just don't feel like doing a Bible study. I think I'm feel, feeling pretty good about myself. It could be Daniel. But the reason of his greatness is because he is greatly committed to the word of God. Look, if a guy who writes the Bible needs to study the Bible, I think we all need to. In addition, he gets, he sees, he experiences a new revelation from these old scriptures. Daniel would have been familiar with Jeremiah. He would have known this prophet. This would not have been the first time he had opened that book and read its pages so he gets a new revelation from this scripture. That's also true for all of us. I've been a pastor for exactly half my life. 
I graduated seminary 15 years ago. <laughs> Aha, now you do math. Okay, 30 years ago. <laughs> and there are parts of the Bible that I've studied over and over, and I'm here to report that as I still study them, I learn new things. You know why? Because this is a supernatural book in which God speaks. And ultimately, the Bible says about itself that it is living and active. And whenever you have a relationship with something, someone who is living and active, there's always something to learn. So it is with God and his word. You study his word, you get more truth revealed. So it's not just you know, assuming that, look, I've read that story a thousand times. Or that particular passage, oh, I know it by heart. There's nothing new there. There are still treasures to unfold. And the third thing I'll say is this, and I'll encourage you as well. Read the Bible and pray. This is going to be the pattern that Daniel establishes for us. In just a moment, we're going to read his prayer. And he starts with Bible study and he stops to pray. This is how we have a conversational relationship with God. For the most part, he speaks to us through Scripture. That's, that's his primary means. And the way that we speak to him is through prayer. Many of you know this, but to be honest, I think many of us don't do this. You see, just knowing is one thing, but doing is where the blessings come. And so what Daniel does, he's reading and he stops to pray. And some of you may struggle with prayer. You don't know how to pray or what to pray or when to pray. Start reading your Bible. And God will speak to your heart. He'll open up some awareness, and then you just talk to him conversationally about it. You know, God, it, it says in here that you'll forgive. Well, God, there are some things I really regret. But I'm, I'm struggling to believe that you're going to forgive me. So I'm going to talk to you about this so that I can experience your forgiveness. God, it says in here that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. But i got to be honest, I'm feeling pretty alone. Right now, this is a hard season, and I'm not quite sure that there's anyone who is with me or for me, but it says you are. So God, I, I want to talk to you about this, and I want that revelation to be a reality in my life, okay? Bible study, prayer, that's how it works. Now, let me just let you know, this is a long prayer. We're going to go through the whole thing. I'll summarize it at the end. He'll first give us a lead in. He said, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, in ashes. He is doing everything to get his heart ready to have this very important meeting with God. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. So here's the prayer. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. God, you sent these people. We didn't listen. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah 
and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. That's where the temple was. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. God, we've not been worshiping in the temple. Can we fix that? Give ear, our God, and hear. Open our eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Long prayer, but passionate prayer, heartfelt prayer, emotional prayer. And notice some of the things that are significant to the uh, character and consistency of Daniel. At, At this point, he's been walking with God faithfully through his teen years, his 20s, his 30s, and so on. He's now in his 80s. Number one thing in relation to his character and consistency is that Daniel, we've seen, has always surrounded himself with godly friends. We met those guys earlier in the book. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pray together. They serve together. They suffer together. They do life with God together. Ultimately, your life is largely defined by the company that you keep. Thank you for being here this morning. I hope for your own sake, but certainly for ours as well. 
Number two, in relation to his character and consistency, here is a man in Daniel who is committed to the study of God's word. We saw this. He's in his 80s. He's been studying the Bible for 70 plus years. He has spent his whole life studying the Bible. And here's what's amazing about you and me. We have more revelation available to us now than Daniel did. He didn't have the completion of the Old Testament. He certainly didn't have the coming of Jesus, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from death. He didn't see the church being born. Of course, he didn't see any of the New Testament. He was looking down the corridor of history saying, you know, Jesus is coming. I I can get a glimpse. We're looking in hindsight saying, wow, we see more than Daniel did. And if Daniel was motivated to study the scriptures, we should really be motivated to study the scriptures. And then lastly, what else is he doing? Not only does he have good friends surrounding him and he reads the Bible, he prays. And I'll be honest, when I was younger, I didn't really understand the purpose of prayer. Uh, For many people, I think that's still something that is confusing. Why do I need to pray? If God knows everything, then why does he need to hear from me? But what I realized is, God doesn't need prayer. I do. God will be fine tomorrow whether I pray or not. Prayer is something I need. And in prayer, you're not telling God something he doesn't know. He's not sitting up in heaven going, you did what? Like he knows. Instead, prayer is about inviting God into the circumstances of your life that he already knows about. And so it reveals your heart, your motives, your your desires, your fears, your longings, and you're bringing that before him. Now, a couple things as well about Daniel's prayer. He speaks of good news and bad news. Now, Christianity is good news and bad news. The bad news is who we are. The good news is who God is. You see, we're the problem, he's the solution. We make the mess, he fixes it. And that's basically the essence of Daniel's prayer. So let me start with the bad news of who we are and then get to the good news of who God is. Daniel is speaking of sin over and over in that prayer. And he uses a whole array of words to describe it. He talks about acting wickedly, wandering from the path, evil, rebellion, treachery, all this language to give a fuller perspective of really how bad our behavior is. And then what Daniel does, you read his prayer, he identifies himself with the people who are sinful. He says, we. Question, is Daniel a good guy? He's a good guy. He's one of the godliest men alive on the planet, but he knows he's far from perfect. And he doesn't compare himself with others. He compares himself and his people with God. And so he says, we have sinned, we have failed. You see, it doesn't matter how godly you are, how long you've been a believer, how much Bible you know, there's always something to work on. There's always progress to be made. That is why the Christian faith requires tremendous humility. God, here's what I think I'm feeling you telling me I need to work on in my life. God, here's what I need to change. God, here's where I need your help right now. You may be a very mature, seasoned believer, but there are still some things that God is revealing to you that he needs to work on and you need to take account for. 
Now, we don't talk much about sin in our culture because people don't like it. Daniel, mind you, (laughs) is a politician. He's working for the government. And he actually talks about sin. I don't think that would get your party much of a nomination if that were today. Instead, what we tend to do with our sin is in our day, we do several things. Number one, we deny it. Or number two, instead of repenting of it, we try to hide it. Or number three, we make excuses. Number four, we blame. You can always find something or someone to blame, right? Or number five, we normalize it. Well, in high school, you know, every kid experiments with drugs and gets drunk. I mean, it's high school. It's like one of their courses, isn't it? And then you go to college and, well, you're going to deny your parents' faith and rebel for a little while because it's college. And then you're going to graduate and you're going to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You know why? Because that's normal. Let me tell you this. Everything out there is abnormal. Everything in here is normal. This tells us of the character of God and the world as God intended it to be. And when we stray from this, that is abnormal, even if it's the majority. Because it's not according to God's design. And then what do we do after we normalize it? We celebrate it. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm being true to myself. Well, instead, what about this question? What does God want? How do I be loyal and true to him? And what Daniel is doing here is he's dealing with sin. He's owning it, accepting it, naming it, and you can't do that unless you know God is there to forgive and help. And then Daniel tells us a whole lot about God in his prayer. He says that God is loving and relational and compassionate and forgives and he doesn't give up on us. That God is like a father who is perfectly, continually, eternally devoted to his kids. You are the children of God and God's heart towards you is as a father's heart. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our father. It's to remind us that we have a dad who loves us and doesn't disown us. Here, Daniel is praying and trusting in this relationship that is secure and this is really significant. He uses the language of covenant. That word appears in the prayer. Covenant. Most of our relationships are contractual, not covenantal. Meaning, if you do this, then I'll do that. It's my behavior towards you. My relationship with you is conditioned on your performance. Covenant love is not like that. God's heart towards you is not changed by your heart toward him. God's actions towards you are not determined by your actions toward him. That ultimately God loves you whether you love him or not. God pursues you whether you want him to or not. That if you are a child of God, God is working on you whether you want it or not. It's hard for us to conceive of a relationship like this because most of the time when we do something wrong, that other person changes their heart toward us. They harden their heart, they close their heart, or they get angry and fight back. God's heart is unchanged. Your heart does not change God's heart. God's heart changes your heart. You need to know that that's the Father's heart towards you. 
And then what's amazing, God doesn't get overwhelmed. God doesn't get exhausted. God doesn't get overextended. Some of you think, well, I can't bother God with that. God's not bothered. He's all powerful. He can handle it. He already knows it, right? God is not overwhelmed by you. He's not too busy for you. God is not exhausted by you. He has not given up on you. And, this, and the reason why this is hard is because we live in a world that is filled with finite things and we can't count on others like we can count on God. Back to Daniel. He's interceding for the people. Question is, is he responsible? Let me ask it a different way. Is it Daniel's fault that the people are sinning and rebelling? No, it's not his fault. They've been sinning and rebelling a long time. If you want to know why, why God sent them away for 70 years is because he told them. Okay, here's how it works. I made a seven-day week. You are to work six days and take a Sabbath off. And then the land, you work it for six years and you give the land a Sabbath year. Well, they kept working because you can make more money and it's more profitable if you disobey God. So they don't do Sabbath, and they don't allow the land to do Sabbath, and they get away with it for 490 years. If you get away with something for 490 years, you feel like, I think I got away with it. And God comes and says, you've disobeyed. You've not taken your Sabbath or given the land its Sabbath. For 490 years, you are supposed to rest the, year, the land every seven years. So how many seven-year stretches do you owe me? Seventy. And since you won't do the right thing, and I've been very patient with you. I mean, how many of you as parents would wait 490 years for your kids to do the right thing? He says, I'm going to take you away from the land. For 70 years, they're held in captivity Daniel reads Jeremiah. The 70 years are almost up. It's time to go back. Point being, this is not Daniel's fault. He was born at the tail end of these 490 years of sin. It's been going on for a long time before he even showed up. And when he does show up, what is he? He's a teenager. He's not a king. He doesn't have any power. It's not his fault. But does Daniel take responsibility for it in his prayer? Yes, because that's what leadership and love does. The biblical definition of leadership and love is to take that on and bring it before the Lord. Did Jesus do that for us? Is it Jesus' fault that we have sinned? No. But he made it his responsibility. He came, he died, he rose, he lives to make intercession. It's not his fault, but because of his great love as our leader, he made it his responsibility. Verse 20, Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, while I was still praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, who's an angel, whom he had already met. I mean, you know, your life is pretty awesome when Gabriel just hangs out with you for prayer. 
While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight. Okay, he's getting there quickly. He's attending to me in my prayer about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, notice that, as soon as you began to pray, not when the prayer is finished, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. We'll see in just a second. First, let me say this about prayer. When you pray, the good news is God hears. You're like, you know, is this prayer going anywhere? Is it going to get past the ceiling? Is anything going to happen? This passage is confirmation that not only does God hear, but that he convenes his divine counsel, all of his divine servants, and then assigns them as messengers and ministers to go and help serve his people on earth. You need to know that when you pray, God hears and God answers. God always answers. One of three ways. Yes. No. Not yet. And then lastly, he's going to close with a prophecy. Seventy sevens, most people believe that represents 77-year periods of time. Whatever it is exactly. Are decreed for your people and your holy city. Two... And then now here's a list of six things to finish transgression, to put it into sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, in other words, to fulfill it, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, that's Jesus... There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Jesus dies and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come, that's, I believe, the Antichrist that we talked about last week, and destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Needless to say, this prophecy has been a topic of much curiosity and speculation for centuries. I'm not here to tell you exactly what it all means because I don't know. But I can tell you this. It's talking about Jesus Christ and his first and second coming. But as we look at this prophecy, there are many people who love God, who know the Bible, and come at different conclusions to this prophecy. Here are just some of the questions. Are these events past history or future prophecy or combination of both? Are these Seven or 77, are they 70 weeks, 70 years, 70 periods of seven years? Are they literal or symbolic? 
You know, like Jesus said, forgive someone 70 times seven. That's symbolic. It doesn't mean, okay, I got to 489, I give them one more chance. It, it's that life of, of forgiveness that you're... And lastly, it says that the clock will start when the word or the decree goes out. Well, which decree? Now, here's what I do know. Those six things that we listed out, Jesus accomplishes all of them. The finishing of transgression. The putting an end to sin. The atoning for wickedness. He dies on the cross, you know. In our place for our sins and pays our penalty, our penalty that's due to God. Number four, he is the one who brings us everlasting righteousness in his second coming. Fifth, he will fulfill all biblical prophecy. And sixth, he's the one to anoint the most holy place. When he comes back, everything will be as God intended, God had preordained, God prepared, God planned. My point is this. I'm not on the planning committee. I don't know when and how, but I want to make sure I'm on the welcoming committee when he comes back. And so that being said, it, it kind of makes more sense now why the Bible will say, you know, right now we only see in part, we only know in part, like looking through a, a fogged window. You're like, I see, but it's not real clear. That's because the righteous live by faith, not by sight. We have sight for the things in the past. We have faith for the things in the future. I don't exactly know when or where, but I know who. His name is Jesus. And he is alive and well right now. And he is living to make intercession. And he will come back to judge the living and the dead and to establish an eternal kingdom of God, put an end to Satan and all sin and bring blessing upon blessing for his children. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.